There are places to shop, and then there are shopping destinations, like Simon Premium Outlets. Here, there's always something new to discover. New styles, new brands, and always amazing prices. Simon Premium Outlets. Exceptional brands up to 65% off. It's hunting season, bargain hunting season. At Charlotte Premium Outlets, join us for Dear Widows Weekend, November 11th through the 13th. On Friday and Saturday, be first in line for chances to win big bucks at some of your favorite retailers. On Sunday, kick off the day with a block party and free gift bags while supplies last. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two. One, two. One, two. For you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right up. That biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline, and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication, a work of art, from Genesis to Revelation, from God's creation, to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens, sturdy and fixed. Romans 11:36. Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what he promises, and the so clever, we behold his endeavors unfold. The greatest, greatest story, story ever, ever told. told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical 
theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Biblical theology, folks, that is what we do here at Theology Matters. We are so glad to have everybody back with us. It's been a little while since we've done a show, probably a month or two, and trying to get back on a more regular basis with that. We've <clears throat> been very busy with uh, with Ratio Christie. We've been uh, doing our Tuesday night meetings there at Winthrop, and... Uh, our Thursday night meetings, when we would normally be doing the show, uh, we are uh, teaching a group of high school students, Ratio Christie College Prep, so we're getting them ready for when they go off to college <clears throat> to be able to defend the faith. So uh, the main issue has just been trying to find some time to squeeze a show in, but uh, we've got just a couple weeks left of uh, Ratio Christie. Uh, for the semester, and then they're going to be out for the Christmas break, so we should have some more time and uh, <clears throat> should have some very good shows coming up. Uh, one of the guests that we've had on in the past is uh, Nancy Piercy. We just uh, had her on and interviewed her about her book, uh, Finding Truth, which is, uh, I guess, the sequel to Total Truth, and uh, we've got so many requests to have her back on, I thought, you know, we should do the book Total Truth. We will have her back on uh, possibly next week and uh, go over that book, Total Truth. So be looking for that. We have some other things uh, coming up. If you've not liked our Facebook page, please go to Theology Matters with the Palouse. On Facebook, and there you will find articles that we post as well as our uh, shows. You can look in the archives and, and find several of the shows that we've done in the past if you're on iTunes or whatever whatever podcast uh, thing you use for your Android. You can go to, um, I think it's True Radio Presents, and you can sign up and subscribe to uh, to the shows. So... Uh, let's see. With that being said, uh, real quick, we just uh, had the Apologetics Conference, National Conference here out, out here in Charlotte. And it was um, a good conference. It was not uh, as well attended as I had hoped. It just seemed like there wasn't as many people as there uh, normally is. And um, I don't know. I don't know exactly why that is. Some people have said, well, they're, you know, they're starting to do these big apologetic conferences uh, all over the country now. And because of that, people, you know, they don't, they don't uh, spend the time and the money to come out to, to the one that uh, Southern Evangelical puts on. So in a sense, I mean, it's a good thing because you want people to be learning about apologetics and it's good to see that, uh, there are other places that are starting to hold these conferences, uh, but kind of kind of a bummer in the other sense, and that uh, now we don't get as many people. But uh, regardless, <clears throat> it was a great conference. Got to hang out with uh, all of my friends from Southern Evangelical Seminary. It was a great time. 
Uh, got the new book by Hugh Ross on um, Improbable Planet. Got to talk with him for a little bit. Got to talk to uh, Dr. Fuzzrana. <clears throat> and uh, just had a great time following the conference. Uh, as usual, they do the Ratio Christie Symposium. And uh, that is where they have uh, the chapter directors as well as uh, students from all over the nation come in, uh, fly in town, and uh, start Saturday night with a dinner. We were very blessed to have <clears throat> one of our professors, uh, Dr. Amanda Heiner, who teaches English and uh, critical thinking at Winthrop University. Uh, she, was, she was one of the, one of the guests there and so she got to talk a little bit about how uh Ratio Christie has uh really been a blessing to, to them on campus and several uh, of our professors also came so it's just a great time great weekend all in all and uh if if you guys <clears throat> are interested we can try and get you guys some details on the conference that will be coming up next uh next year they always do it around the same time uh, normally it's the second or the third week, uh, weekend of October. So you can uh, email me at sola.scripture, at sola.scripture at yahoo.com. Sola, sola.scriptura was taken, so I just had to do, <laughs> just had to do the scripture. So <clears throat> with that being said, um, let's do this. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to bring in our guest. We're going to be talking to Steve Garofalo, and he's been on the show uh, in the past before. We talked about his book, Right for You, But Not for Me, Response to Moral Relativism. And when we come back, we'll be talking about his uh, new book uh, called Do All Roads Lead to God. Folks, you don't want to miss this show, and you really do want to get this book uh, because it is a, a smaller book. It's not a huge tome you have to read through, but yet it still addresses some of the most popular claims that are often put out there, uh, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's on the news, etc. and really shows you how to answer a lot of these questions uh, in a pretty, pretty, pretty quick manner. Uh, it's a, it does a very good job. So, We'll, we'll take a break real quick. We'll come back, and we will talk with Steve Garofalo on whether all roads lead to God. Stay with us. What is something that computers and humans have in common, which constantly needs upgrading in computers but not in humans? The answer is software. You may not have realized you have software, but inside the nucleus of each of your cells, a program is written in the form of 3 billion DNA letters. Intelligent programmers write computer software, but what about living things? Evolutionists tell us that the information in the first living cell just appeared by itself with no intelligent input required. But is that possible? The answer is a resounding no. Even one of Australia's best-known scientists, Paul Davies, conceded that there is no known law of physics able to create information from nothing. And perhaps that's why, in a New Scientist article, he lamented... How did stupid atoms spontaneously write their own software? Nobody knows. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. I just want to start off by saying that this was not a tempest in a teapot. 
chiseled into the stone of the Reformation wall are the Latin words post tenebras lux, after darkness light. Luther was convinced that the gospel itself had fallen into darkness and obscurity in the late Middle Ages. The Reformation, from his perspective, was the recapturing and recovering of nothing less than the gospel itself. The gospel is so plain in Scripture that a child can understand it. If you don't have the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you don't have the gospel. And if you don't have the gospel, the church has no reason to exist. The church itself ceases to be a church and falls into apostasy. But beyond the general ecclesiastical application there, Luther by extension would be saying that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article upon which you stand or fall, the article upon which I stand or fall. Again, why? Because it is the article that answers the question, what must I do to be saved? All right, folks, welcome back with us. And let me introduce our guest, uh, Stephen Garofalo. He's earned a master's in apologetics <clears throat> with an emphasis in Islamic studies from Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, in May of 2007. Uh, he speaks at conferences and churches on religious and moral issues uh, and is the founder of the National Apologetics Training Center. Uh, Stephen is the author of Right for You, But Not for Me, A Response to Moral Relativism. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at his new book, Do All Roads uh, Lead, to, uh, Lead to Heaven. And so, Stephen, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Devin? Doing good, my doing, friend. Brother? Doing good. A little congested, so I apologize if I'm coughing in your ear oh, a lot. This fall weather. <laughs> I'm telling you. Good. I'm glad you. How are you feeling these days? You doing well? I think I'm doing well. I think I am doing well. Tell us a little bit about your ministry. What are you What are you guys uh, doing out there? Yeah. Well, uh, we start off as a National Apologetics Training Center, and uh, uh, which was apologetics dot training uh, apologetics training dot org. And uh, in two, 20, 2007, and uh, we switched to uh, Reason for Truth a few years ago, reasonfortruth.org. Now, uh, National Apologetics Training Center is part of what Reason for Truth does, and we're starting to develop that as a more, little bit more of a formal training arm, but um, uh, that's not quite uh, in place as of yet and, uh, formally. But, uh, yeah, uh, we work with, uh, you know, we're primarily focused with, not only equipping students but uh, adults for in the church as well as uh, really high school um uh, middle school and some some college as well students in general for the onslaught to inoculate them for the onslaught uh, of of non-biblical worldviews they're about to experience I was talking to a guy at the uh the YMCA today and he was telling me this guy uh was telling me all his friends that he even went to Christian J High School with, right? He said they're all atheists now. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, yeah. It, 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 so you got to inoculate them first of all. So you have one group of people, and then you have the other end of the spectrum is where you're 
you're going out into the community and working with the general church. So, and you're taking apologetics and you're putting it into a form that they can use on their level. So that's that's kind of our focus. Why do you think uh, that so many uh, there is so many converts that go from Christianity to uh, to atheism? Because a lot of times some uh, of the people we have to um, win over to our position are fellow Christians that don't really see the need for apologetics. Why do you why do you think there is a need for apologetics, especially to the high school age? Yeah. Um. You, it, you you can get them in middle school or even below that, and start working with the parents to get you know, and the grandparents to get them in before then. It's even that's that's the best place to start. And um, but yeah, on the student level, the high school, middle school, the best place to get them before they go to the high to the college. They're going to be asked questions like, well, how do you know Muhammad's not the answer? And and they played and simply are not taught that, and that's not something they learn in church. Churches are instilling great part, not totally not in totality, but in great part, you know, they're still really kind of apprehensive of apologetics, sadly enough, but, um, you know, it, it's still it's still kind of where they're at, unfortunately. So um, when you see that, I, I just, you know, I, I spent a week with 300 students this, this summer, and boy, they ate it up. I, I was I couldn't believe it. They ate it up like yeah. uh, you wouldn't believe, and and you know they just chomped on it, devoured it. And the leaders and the parents did too. And you know, uh, two out of three par- uh you know, pastors kind of got on board, and we still had one pat, you know, pastor who just didn't feel that it was. Uh, you know, you have that. You run into that. Just about every church. Very seldom do you find a church where they're out there. It's just very seldom where they buy into apologetics. And sometimes I don't know. Why that is? I think it's a trust issue. It's a turf issue. It's a spiritual issue of the Bible should be enough. It's an issue of perhaps knowing something the pastor doesn't. In some cases, um, I'd like to give myself that much credit, but I, I don't think I'm quite that <laughs> intelligent enough to give myself that credit. But that's a perception that you know. Yeah, um, no, that's I'm, a I'm that's with out you there. on that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, it's uh, it, sometimes it can be a hard place if you're an apologist to be in a church uh, because uh, they do. Sometimes they either they see you as threat or they just um, they just think it's your little pet hobby horse and the fact yep. that you want to do great, but uh, you know it's not something that the that the church needs. And what I have found though is a lot of times when the students get a taste of it, they love it. Yes, they do. Letting them get a taste of it. Hey, you just need to get past the parents, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not the parent. The parents often like it too. It's the pastor. Yeah. You know, the pastor. In, in many cases. The now, I think. I, I think it's one of the the, the issues. And listen, I don't mind saying it. it. Churches have a hard job. I, man, the more I work with churches, boy, I, I give a lot of credit to the pastor because. They've got one heck of a job. I mean, they're dealing with everybody's kids' problems. You know, we all have to do deal with our own yeah. kids' problems. These guys are dealing with every kid's problems. They're, and 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 they have to, then they have to, you know, they have to careful. Churches run on donations, and you know, donations. You perturb a parent, and you know, and and they're given thousands of dollars a year. So uh, that shouldn't be part of the equation, but it is. It is whether you like it or not. And so you got all these things you've got to balance out. And, um, yeah. you know, 
I think, it's a pretty wild, wild the, thing. I think the seminaries in general, not SES, of course, but the seminaries in general do kind of a poor job preparing pastors about the need for apologetics. You know, it's it's uh, every other class in the book uh, outside yeah. of uh, apologetics. And so I think that's why so many pastors just see it as a to take it or leave it. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, you know, we just need to preach the gospel type of a type of a thing but you know i'm sorry if you, if you come on to come on to winter campus and take that take that methodology yeah. <laughs> because i'm telling you they don't grant you that the bible is the word of god that's not something yeah. that they're willing to grant <laughs> well you know? even if you so, prove it they still they still don't grant it to you right yeah in a lot you of know, cases even if golly it's 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 uh you know it's it's it, it is true. I had a friend of mine that just was uh, was um, was speaking to um, a situation where he um, he was speaking to some new seminary students, and uh, and he was uh, and, and in the bottom line, he said, you "Don't think they're going to prepare you <laughs> to go out and be a pastor in the church." And you know the person was there who was a professor said, "Yeah, you know you're absolutely right because they're there to teach you academia, but I think it's only fair, and I think it's wise you know you have i mean you have to take hermeneutics, homiletics right, how to preach in fluctuating your speech they need to they need like a a basic you know kind of don't get your head knocked off class." to speak yeah. to what you're going to deal with if you're going to be a pastor, you know, this is what you're going to deal with with parents and infidelity amongst, you know, the kids doing drugs and and sexual perversions and and, uh, and then the politics you know, that go on, and, and, and I, oh, I agree with boy. you on that one. I think, but it's, no one wants to talk about it, but that's the big, the church is the worst at dealing with it, you know, I mean, sometimes yeah. the, the secular world goes overboard and, you know, they, they want to, you know, Looking at the article about the uh, who was that? I, think, I I don't want to misspeak, but it was like Stanford or one of the Ivy League schools where where they said the students were granted the day off if it was too stressful. The results of the election. <laughs> <laughs> I think about going to SES. I I I remember all the elections, man. You were unless the building was like on fire, you you know you were expected to show up in class, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, but that you know, I'm like, you know, listen. At some point, you know, it is what it is, and you need to get on board, um, and you need to just get done what you need to do. I think that's one of the problems with, especially with the millennial generation. There's a lot of great things about the millennial generation, but I think they also, um, I think they they you know they do have some issues with not everybody in the millennial generation, but I do think that there is. Some uh, some issues with uh, um, with them having to deal with uh, just facing up life the way it is, you know, and, and having to deal yeah. with the the challenges of life, the challenges of um, that they're going to face, and that, that's that's because that's reality. When you come out, you know, you don't start a job and go, you know, this is too stressful for me. No, there are no safe, in, there are no safe no safety no safety spots right no safety zones that's right man uh, oh gosh that's right yeah they, they had, got those all over the university man they, uh, yeah they oh, I know. well we're gonna see how long that lasts 
Yeah, not in <laughs> that, the real that, world. You gotta that may not well, that may not last if uh, if you get some decent Supreme Court <laughs> the justices in there. That might really, uh, you know, that might change real quick. And it should, and it should. Everyone should have free speech. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's a political question, but it's not a political question. Look about Jesus' time, right? I mean, he went. He how many places did he go? And he spoke the truth in very volatile territory. The Apostle right. Paul, John the Baptist, you name it, and these guys went respectfully. But I don't ever remember any speech zones, you know, going on there at the time. So, you know, so it's uh, you can't do that. There's no way to get your word out. You know, on a college campus, if you excuse me, if you if you can't do it, if you can't speak, you know, and you got you got to let the free speech go. Anyways, Tamara, yeah. part yeah. of the Constitution. That's it. Um, and that goes both like sides. It. That's not that's not a conservative yeah. issue. That's just a that, you know. Listen, if you're liberal, you should be able to. It, the, the 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 university is a incubation place for ideas and. You know, sometimes you know, I'm a conservative, but sometimes the liberals, it's good that they push back. It makes you think about your issues, and sometimes they may have some good points that, that you need to integrate into your ideas, and it should go both ways. So, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I think people, they want to hear both sides. You know, they don't want to be they – don't, they don't need to be told, hey, this side is not worth listening to, you know. Uh, let people decide for themselves. Let them hear both sides. Don't, don't make that – you know, that's you right. You need to make that decision for people. You know, see uh, this all the time. Pro-life uh, apologists will go on to the campus and want to do a speech, or you know, they've been invited by a particular group to give a pro-life presentation, and uh, they're just, you know, think of Ben Shapiro. My goodness, how many times has yeah. that guy uh, just gone into the belly of the beast? And uh, you know, you, you saw it last time. They're pulling the fire alarm. They're doing everything. <laughs> to try to get him to leave, and he—he just—he's that guy is fearless. He's set tight, tight, man. You can't blame. God bless him, you know. Yep, absolutely. Amen. All righty, well, let's jump into your into your book here. Steve, all roads don't lead to heaven. Talk about yes, the introduction sir. here for us. What do you mean by that title of that book? Aren't you being a bigot? Exactly, I'm a some I'm some kind of phobe. The only problem is there when all the other religions are just as much as a phobe. All religions agree with me, by the way, just so you know, in, including Hinduism and the whole coexist. Well, we talk about the coexist. Um, it starts off. It's, the name of the title of the book is "All Roads Don't Lead to Heaven: Discovering God in the New Age," and then the cover has a, car, a picture of a the bumper of a car, the back of a car, and there's a bumper sticker. It says coexist, and it reflects it down, and it says contradict. So we've seen that around um, before. And so what you have with that is it's kind of the whole premise of the book is that, yeah, you have have coexist. We've already coexisted for thousands of years, right? I mean, all religions have always coexisted. I mean, for the most part, have there been conflicts? Absolutely. But the, for the most part, listen, most all of us have gotten along with each other. I mean, outside of Islam, Islam as a whole anyways, not to say all Muslims, but Islam as a whole 
has always chosen not to get along because their they their old goal is to take over the world. So that's not Hindu's goal. That's not the Jewish goal. It's not the Christian goal. People say, well, right. you know, take take me back to the Crusades. You know, listen, that's a whole other story. That was a long time ago, and not many people died in that anyways. Read Dinesh D'Souza's book, What's Great About America, and What's Great About Christianity, I'm sorry. So anyway, when you, when you look at that, you know, all the religions have always gotten along with each other, and each one is just as exclusive as the other. Matter of fact, even the coexist people are just as exclusive as Christianity, because Islam say it's the only way, right? Isn't it? Aren't they just as exclusive as us? Go, I want to see the coexist guy to go into the to talk to the imam in the mosque and have this nice lunch with him and sit down and talk to him that Jesus is a way to heaven. See, yeah. the, the bumper sticker says, "Can't we all get along?" But that's not that's it's not really what it's saying. It implies that, but it, what it's saying is, "All roads lead to heaven." That's really what it's saying. It's a very yeah. very cool making are, a statement. All, yeah. Basically, all religions are true, right? All truth that, claims right. are equal. In the book, opens up quoting Barna Research, which I did initially in 2012, and then when I looked at the most modern survey, they do it every year, State of the Bible. Uh, with American Bible Society and, and Barna Research, they ask a simple question. And the simple question <clears throat> goes like this. It asks, um, uh, the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truth. And, you know, the, the, the funny part is that the statistics from 2012 to 2016 2015, I guess it was. I think that's the last time they did it, that they had it up there. It might have been 2016. I think it was 2015. Actually went down one point. But I don't I don't consider that. A, I don't consider that. And they're looking at about 1,200 people roughly uh, in their survey. But I don't think that that's the case that less people believe that all roads go to heaven. I think it's just a 1% margin of error that you're seeing. But it kind of tells me that, that it's kind of holding steady. But I tell you, in 2012, which the, the numbers were fairly similar in 2015, were that um, 15% agreed strongly, which is still a pretty big number, but 31% agreed somewhat. And these are the laws that really kind of, they're in the, the coexist camp, but they're not exactly sure. It's kind of like being an agnostic versus an atheist, but on the, but, but on the uh, coexist level, on the, on the interfaith. Matter of fact, I talked to somebody, uh, I was out and I'm doing a speaking engagement, uh, and someone asked me about, um, it was out uh, up north, and people asked me, a, a person asked me, they said, you're not going to believe what I saw. It was a Muslim. The girl had the hijab on. She's driving with the coexist bumper sticker. And I said, don't think for a moment. Don't even think that she's a liberal Muslim. Even if she was a liberal Muslim, why is she wearing the hijab? Right? I mean, Ooh. first of all. Right. Secondly, don't think for a moment that she really believes that all roads lead to heaven. Uh, first of all, she probably would be killed and put in a trunk and driven off a cliff somewhere. I mean, that's kind of radical for me to say that, but, but that's... Listen, man, you go into the local Muslim community, you tell them all roads go to heaven. I mean, that's... that's I mean, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's not... Those are fighting words. And for a woman to say that is, would be just considered despicable in Islam because they're considered like property. That's just part of the Islamic yeah. culture. So, you know, she, if she did that in Iraq or Iran or something like that, she would be tortured. She would be killed. She would. She would be buried up to probably your neck, and they would throw stones and kill her. You know, bash her skull in, or you know, yeah. burn her or something. But um, so, yeah. But I said, don't even think for a minute. 
the cheese the cheese say and coexist. What you see every time there's a major watch when there's a major terrorist attack. You usually see a meeting. There's a bunch of imams and there's this interfaith movement, and you got these Christians that are pandering, and their lips are all wet. They're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Well, we could all we're all coexist interfaith. It's interfaith movement. Interfaith movement is nothing shy of coexist. It's all it is. It's, yeah. Interfaith is not can we get along. It's we're all going to the same place. And you get these drippy lips, little. They're not really Christians. They were the so-called Christians, and they, they Baptist churches sometimes, Catholic churches, they all come together, Methodist church. I'd expect less from the, I don't expect much more from the Methodist church anyways. But, sure. yeah, it, it, you look at it, and, and you go, come on, man, really? Why are you in the church business if you don't even believe your own charter? Anyways, I'm going up on Bailey with but, no, that's you. No, know, that's good. It, you know, it, it's, it's silly. I mean, here's the deal. If you don't really believe, if you don't really believe what, Christianity says in the Bible, you should you ought not be saying it. Politicians do this all the time. I don't know if you heard the conceding. Uh, I was appalled listening to the, and I'd be appalled for a Republican or a Democrat to use scripture out of out of out of context. I don't care who you are, um, but I I listened to politicians concede to the election on a national level and the president uh, and the vice president uh, on the on, on you know conceding both got up and both ended with scripture and both completely took it so out of context it was nuts I mean it, it meant wow. nothing as to what was meant in the Bible if you go look at it and my wife were like she's like what you know I mean it, it, it was just crazy so you know here's a problem it's we have to be discerning as Christians and the state of the Bible would just coexist do all, you know, does the Quran, the Bible, and the Book of Mormon all lead to, are they all different expressions of the same spiritual truths? This is one of the things the book sets out to show. And that is that, um, and that is that, um, you know, we, especially we have to prepare our students as well as ourselves to be able to, uh, to be able to unravel that. Not just give an answer like, well, of course not. Well, Scripture says so. Well, we don't believe in Scripture. I mean, right, you get to the university, well, we don't believe in Scripture. And the kid's stuck really thinking about, I, have no, I don't have any answer for this, and that's how they lose their faith and become atheists. Right? Because if God's not true, why even believe in the whole thing? I mean, so... Right, so that, right. That's, but the problem is, is the reason why so many people listen to politicians when they misquote, when they abuse, what I consider abuse of Scripture, and use it to their, their worldly benefit is because they're simply not discerning. We get all these butterflies in our heart. We go, oh, no, it's so touching. They just, So what? They took it out of Scripture. They just quoted the Bible. Yeah, but they just used it like a, you know, like I'd go get a hammer and nail a nail in my, you know, kid's treehouse or something for my own good. It's crazy. So we have to be able to think uh, critically. Uh, Bobby Conway, you know, I was watching one of his one uh, two-minute apologists, and he uh was it the one minute apologist? The one minute. Yeah, the one minute apologist. Yeah, one minute apologist. So he goes on there and he goes, um, he's interviewing Dr. Geiser. And he says, "What's the most important class of seminary? What do you what, take a guess? What do you think Dr. Geiser said is the most important class in all in seminary?" I was shocked. I, would, I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would guess it would not be uh, hermeneutics, but probably uh, logic, right? Ah, man, you're good. That's exactly what he said. I was like, wow. He said because all the other classes rest on top of logic. If, if, if you can't, 
if you don't understand logic and how to think critically, it doesn't matter what class you take. It's all gobbledygook. And that's and that's kind of, and it's true because then you right. end up quoting scripture like a politician does, or or even pastors out of out of place that that take liberty that because they get emotional on the side, they feel strong about an issue, and so they're just going to use that piece of scripture to say what they think they want, you know, to make their point as opposed to what the scripture really is saying. And nobody wants yeah. to be taken out of context. That includes you and me and anybody that's listening. You know, none of us want to be taken out of context. You get in a fight with your wife, right? Your wife says, well, you just said this, but I didn't mean it that way. Would you like that? Well, you said, well, that's the way I understand it. So it's true for me, not for you. Oh, man. Devin, that'll get, I know. Melissa will be getting you. She'll be in the doghouse. Although I ain't necessarily. Get us in trouble. Oh, my wife, brother. <laughs> I'm smart at that. I just say, that's right. She says the sky is green and it's blue. I look at it and say, that's a nice green color. But that's marriage. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. That's not scriptural. Yes, there's no 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 laws of logic involved in marriage. <laughs> no, sir. We suspend reality in marriage. But but that's a God creation thing, so we get a pass on that. <laughs> that's right. Oh, gosh. Well, talk to us a little bit about chapter one. Do all religions lead to the same spiritual truth? And and just kind of with that, when we say that, uh, yes, Christianity is is uh, the true worldview, but does that mean therefore? that no other worldview has any truth in it. Talk to us about chapter one. Yeah, that's a great question. Because um, there is truth in every, in just about every religion there's truth. I mean, look at look at Islam. Islam believes in a theistic God, right? I mean, there's only three theistic, theistic religions. There's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam in that order. So that means there is truth in Islam. But it doesn't mean Islam is true. <laughs> so you can find truth in each each religion. So, um, and you saw the statistics uh, that we just covered. And so, in chapter one, uh, we we we, we kind of do an entry point there, and and we give this the story of the six blind men and the elephant, right? And they take six blind men or blindfolded men, and they bring them up to the elephant. One touches the leg. He says it's a tree trunk. The other one touches the the tusk. And he says it's a spear. And the one touches the side. He says it's a wall. You know, and so on and so forth. And, and he gives, there's six blind men, and each one t- touch a different part of the, the elephant, and they, you know, they they kind of come up with this 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 belief that, you know what, um, yeah, the ear's a fan, the, wall, the side's a wall, the tail's a rope, the leg's a tree, the tusk's a spear, and the nose, his long nose, is a snake. Well, is that true? Well, to them, they think it's true, but the only guy who really knows it's an elephant is the guy with the no blindfold on, is the guy that's not blind. But you see, what happens is that's the way, this is a great analogy, that's the way coexist thinks. They look at the guy, you know, they touch the, ele- the ear, right? And they say, oh, gee, was that the fan? Well, that's like Judaism, right? And I'm, I'm just making these correlations have no correlation to the elephant. And they may look right. at another part of God and say, it's all Hinduism. And the other one says, oh, it's the same God, the same elephant, but there's different expressions. One's Buddhism, one's Hinduism, one's Christianity, one's Islam, one's Judaism. And so the only guy who really knows the truth is the guy without the blindfold on. So chapter one kind of makes that very simple point, very short. Um, and, it, and, and it asks the question, do all religions do coexist? And, and we make the point then show that, yes, they all always have existed. And, and that's kind of what we do in chapter one. And um, 
before we get to chapter two, that leads into chapter straight into chapter two, um, uh, and, and in chapter two we address it leads into the uh, the new age movement because the new age movement plays directly into this coexist thinking, this interfaith movement. Because yeah, know, Hindus are cool with Jesus; they think Jesus is, will get you to heaven. They just think there's another 350 million out there gods <laughs> you can add to it that'll get you there as well. Yeah, talk to us about that. What, what's uh, chapter two there? Yeah, the cool part about chapter two, I confess, I got this idea from Frank. Right? Uh, he said, you know, use some of your research you did in school. When I was taking cults with Dr. Ron Rhodes, who, by the way, is the foremost expert on cults. Uh, he's written over 60, 70 books by now, at least. And he taught the class, and I said, well, Dr. Rhodes, what should I write my paper on? He said, well, I said, maybe, the, I can't remember if I asked him, I said, the New Age movement? And he said, well, yes, because the New Age movement is bigger than all the cults. Take all the cults in the world, add them together, they don't even, they, they, they're so small, they're immeasurable as compared to the New Age movement. Because the New Age movement basically, um, in its formal, in its formal um, structure, it basically makes <coughs> Jesus out to be big, like a shaman, a wise man. And they have there's a there's a in the book talks about the special, the specific things that um, it, it takes away from the uniqueness of Christ, and then it paints a different picture of Jesus Christ. But so I wrote the paper. I took Frank's uh, uh, advice, and I took the paper, and I cut and pasted it as an entire chapter. I just trimmed it up. But it really speaks to the New Age movement, which is the coexist bumper sticker. And, you know, for example, you know, we talk about this, their idea, of, and we do some charts, and we'll show that, that we debunk the New Age movement. We'll call it NAM. They make the claims that Jesus is not unique. They make that, that's a formal, clear, you know, uh, uh, proclamation they make that that he is not unique well if he's not unique that means he didn't do you know that means he didn't do miracles he's not unique amongst amongst uh, amongst other other gods you didn't see muhammad even really go out doing miracles you don't see any of the hindu or buddhist monks out doing healings and miracles and splitting the red sea you don't see any of that stuff and um, and that's not jesus but you don't see any of that else in there in the new testament you don't see any of them Making blind men see, and raising people from the dead, and turning wine and water into wine—you don't see any of that stuff. That's the stuff that Jesus does, and that's what makes him unique. And that's his unique claim, uh, and in, as as the, the Son of God. Now, if you if you look at the way that Nam does, they kind of restructure Jesus to be um, to be more of like a. It's kind of like almost like. Hinduism, the New Age movement's like Hinduism, in, but with a modern flavor, with Jesus inserted. It's really weird. So, in other words, they believe. If you look at people, you know, look at your yoga place, right? Look at your, look at your yoga. Look at um, how many people believe in reincarnation or karma. Karma, by the way, is just cause and effect. It's not destiny. And see, that's a good example of Americanizing Hinduism or Eastern religion. Which is part of the New Age movement. You know, you go to you go to India. The guy he'll he'll, pro- he'll tell you I probably was a dog or a fox before that. I was a you know a mouse and a rat and a cockroach before that. 
you, you go to the average new ager in America, what do they say? Oh, what, what do you got? You get uh, Shirley MacLaine. I was Cleopatra. Right. So you've been downsized, <laughs> right? I, I got it. So you see what I'm saying? And, and then they, and people go, yeah. man, that's just karma. Well, what does that mean? It's cause and effect. It's just like driving through an intersection, closing your eyes during rush hour. You're going to hit the car. So in other words, you ran a light, you hit a car. That's called cause and effect. It's not destiny. You weren't destined to, um, you weren't destined to, you know, it wasn't your destiny to run into that car. I guess that's what I'm saying. That wasn't some destiny you had, you know, that was forever right. planned for you. So that's, right. that kind of, that heads in the chapter two. And, and so we debunk and we show why Jesus is unique. And we try, we look at this, Devin, scripturally, logically, historically, and, um, and, and, and reasonably and truthfully and rationally. So sure. that leads into chapter 3, then, which, is, which talks about worldviews, because that's really what we're getting down to. And we have two chapters yeah. on worldview. Yeah. That's crucial. Talk to us a little bit about what, what, what is the worldview. Yeah, the uh, the um, the uh, uh, worldviews has two chapters on there. Chapter four defines formally what worldviews are, and chapter three says talks about the fact that everybody does have a worldview. So yeah, we can we can we can just go in the order of three and four. That's fine. I jumped ahead yeah. of myself there. And we use a lot of stories, so the book is really easy to read. And I talk about a guy who, you know, uh, comes to my. This is a true story. So I'm in my house. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a Second Amendment guy. Um, so when I'm in my office, I'm, I'm always I'm always kind of uh, prepared um, and holstered, locked and loaded. And and it's just you know you just today's world you don't know. So uh, my wife calls me. She says, uh, guy's here to do a termite annual inspection, you know, standard. And um, his name is Muhammad. Cool. Got that. And um, he's got a giant-sized Bowie knife with him. Well, that, that's, that's kind of a red flag for my wife. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So I go outside, and I'm like, she goes, can you, can you come out, please? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, everyone has a worldview. Muslims have a worldview. Uh, for that matter, so does the homosexual community have a worldview. Just different, you know. What I mean, Jewish people have a worldview. Christians have a different worldview, and so on and so forth. And so I go out there, and um, you know, it, it, Muhammad is kind enough to tell me that you know he's a believer, and his whole family came to Christ except for his dad, and he asked me to pray for his dad. No, wild. So my point. Is, my point. Awesome. Yeah. My point is this, every, even Muslims have a worldview. So don't assume that they're a radical Muslim. That was the whole thing. And we, we, the same is true of us. You could talk to someone and they can say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, but what does it mean to have a Christian worldview? And that's the point of chapter, you know, I won't go into in that much detail, but that's chapter three. Chapter four speaks to different worldviews. And you, there, there's like seven worldviews, and there's three main worldviews. And the, really, the only thing you really need to know is the three main worldviews. You got theism, God created all. That's a single theistic God. You got, you've got, uh, uh, you've got pantheism, which is God is all. That's what you got in Hinduism, right? And you got, you got right. uh, God is all. You got God is all, and then, and then you have. Um, 
and then you have atheism, and that is there's no God at all, and God didn't create anything because there's no God at all. So that's kind of your three worldviews. Now, why is that important? Well, I was in Hawaii, and I got a guy, and I stopped into a Baptist church. I was in Hawaii years ago before we had kids, and my wife had all these travels. She was a big executive, and so we we went out and traveled, and she said, I want to go to Hawaii. And I said, you know what? This is just a miserable trip because it takes so long to get there. For me, I'd rather go to Caribbean. That's me. Yeah, if you're going on a vacation. And so I said to her, I said, all right, let's go, let's go. And we went. It was really nice. And I said, we passed the Baptist church, and I was, I think I was a seminary student at the time. And I said, I just got to stop in and can, like, what does the pastor deal with in the Baptist church, right? So it's a Baptist church there in, on the island of Kauai where they filmed Jurassic Park. I said, well, I asked him, I said, well, let me ask a question. What kind of, what kind of issues do you guys deal with? And he says, well, for example, we have a, uh, we have a, uh, I came out, we had just had the uh, gardener to trim the hedges, and there was a guy, um, you know, it was kind of a hippie, kind of drugged out guy, and he, we go out there, and he's crying, and he's petting the top of the bushes. And he's going, I'm so sorry. I did, I, he did not mean to do that to you. Well, if God's all, God's the bushes. That means they just trim God. Right. See, how you see, the point of worldview is how you, every, everything that we do in life, it, points to a worldview. It's all filtered through God. It is. All worldview questions point to God. What is my purpose in life? You know, uh, uh, why am I here? What, you know, what is the purpose of mankind? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? All those are worldview questions. And this guy having more of a Hinduistic worldview, his view of God was that God is all. See? And that gives you an idea how to, how to share Christ with him. So, that's the worldview. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's take a break. For a moment, and uh, when we come back, I'm going to play, and I'm sure you've heard this clip, from uh, Oprah Winfrey, where she is asked whether or not Jesus is the only road to God. I think it's probably appropriate here as we go over your book, and uh, I will get your response from that. So, folks, stay with us. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're with Steve Garofalo, and we're talking about do all roads lead to God? And uh, quickly, if you guys, anybody out there would like to call in, uh, we are taking phone calls at 760-542-3907, 760-542-3907. Uh, we are taking your calls, so feel free to call in and ask your question to Steve Garfalo. Be right back. Christianity not only meets the needs of your heart, but it also meets the demands of your intellect as well. We have the privilege to interview Dr. William Lane Craig, one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith of our time. Does our existence make any difference? If God does not exist, then life is ultimately without meaning, value, or purpose. I can just hear the atheist saying, in light of these facts, atheism becomes implausible. Why should anyone be confident in what you're saying? The evidence makes this an eminently rational decision. Christianity is a reasonable faith. Why is the cosmos here? Or better yet, why am I here? Why did the universe begin to exist? Why did it come into being? Does it exist 
by a necessity of its own nature or in some external cause. When I first read that, I just scratched my head. What is he talking about? God's purpose for human existence is not happiness in this life. Moral values do exist. Things obviously are right and wrong. How does understanding who Jesus is help us understand the resurrection? Those who freely reject God and his love shouldn't be allowed to hold some kind of a veto power over which worlds God is free to create. Training in Christian apologetics is vital for influencing culture, strengthening believers, and winning unbelievers to Christ. We can give a defense without being defensive. We can give an argument without becoming argumentative. During this eight-week study, you will learn what it means for yourself to be a defender of the Christian faith. Logic and evidence must be our guides. Every Christian needs to be prepared to give a reason for the hope within. Every Christian needs to be on guard. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The word justified means that you and I stand before God acceptable, spotless, pure, and without sin. That God looks at us and says, there is no sin in that man. There is no sin in that woman. That he looks at us and we are now just in his sight. So all the blasphemy that we've done by choosing stuff over God, all the blasphemy that we've lived in by saying my way is better than God's, all the blatant sin of saying creation is better than God's is removed and God sees us as just. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. This is great news. Nothing about your effort in that text at all. Nothing about your might, your religious stamina, your morality, your cleaning yourself up. You have been justified by an act of God. Bottom line, you have not earned right standing in front of God by your effort or your cleaning up of your life. We have been made pure, standing blameless in front of God not because of any kind of religious or moral pursuit, but because Christ died. And in his death, he absorbed all of God's wrath for you and I. And that's why the Bible says that for the children of God, we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Because the wrath bestowed upon you and I was absorbed by Christ's death. All right, friends, and we are back with our good friend Steve Garofalo, and we're looking at his book, uh, Do All Roads Lead to God? And uh, it's important, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Christians who grew up in the church, maybe their whole life, and, you know, if you're in your, you know, late 30s or 40s or 50s, and I'm in my late 30s, sometimes we take this for granted as well. Of course not. Uh, but I think times were probably a little different than when we were younger, and and I can tell you as one who works on the college campus with college students, uh, they believe that all roads absolutely 
lead to God, and to deny that is to be unloving and, um, you know, bigoted, and God is love, and therefore, who are we to say what is and what is not orthodoxy? So even if you yourself don't see, you know, the issue with it, if you have children, you're going to want to get this book, and you're going to want to understand why exactly uh, these issues have to be dealt with in a logical, rational way. Steve, are you familiar with the uh, the Oprah clip I'm going to play here in just a second? Have you, you, I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, I have. I'm going to play that just for a minute, just so for our audience who may not have heard this uh, clip. This is kind of a, the, the popular view out there. And then I'm going to have you kind of deconstruct it, uh, Steve, and tell us some of the issues with that. So here is a clip of Oprah Winfrey... Um, a few years back, and um, she's uh, actually challenged on her show. The panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute, definitely. Yes. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, that, which, which is, Anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world, that there are millions of ways to be a then human being. And, and many ways, no, but many paths to what you call God. That and her crazy. path might be something else, and when she gets there, she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there couldn't possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? only one way. There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with a million Because you say there isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that means you right. You think, you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. The People are talked about Truly, that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. <laughs> All right, there we go. She, she can't get Oprah into a religious argument. She can't get into a religious <laughs> argument because she's got beat down, that's why. But, you know, 
That's Nothing. it. So that claim. So does God care about your heart or whether you call uh, Jesus his son? Help us, help us walk through that, Steve. Yeah, well, first of all, I write about, I quote Oprah in the book, and um, and that's textbook New Age. It, 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 it's Hinduism repackaged. You say, well, it's, she's confusing love. Like, like, I think even in Christianity, Devin, we often idolize love, right? Love is like above God. But the two greatest commandments, Jesus was very, very, very clear on the two greatest commandments. Love who? The Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, right? And then the second is like it. But it's not. It's the second. It's not the first. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. So, obviously, love is is the trump card in the room. It it, it wins over all other things. But, you know, in terms of God's attributes, God's attributes are all equal. His justice is no less important or powerful than his love. His love, in, in terms of God's essence, is no greater than his justice and vice versa, and his infinitude. They're all equal in his attributes. But that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about us um, applying the Christian love to other people. But that has nothing to do... I mean, look, think about the Jesus' two greatest commandments, right? Number one is love the Lord your God with all your strength, mind, and soul. And, and, and um, you, your heart and your mind he's speaking to. But what he's saying there is um, love God first. Now, yeah, again, we, this goes back to our earlier conversation of taking Scripture in context. Jesus was very clear, very clear, that he's talking about God the Father, Yahweh, period. That's a discussion. Right. He, that's who he's talking about. He's not talking about all the other religions, all the polytheistic religions that were around in his time. And he wasn't certainly, you know, talking about anything else, any of the gods or the, the uh, you know, the Greek, the Greek polytheistic gods that were created. He's speaking of one god. And so Oprah, the, the, here's the problem. Oprah really is not, it, it's, it's really the 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 truth about God according to Oprah. That's what she says. You see that with people. When anybody wants to redefine God to be what they want it to be, it's really their own religion. Or just regurgitating something that's false religion. Because she can't even stand, you know, if you look at logic, she's saying, well, you know, all these, she's saying they're all different, all these different religions are different expressions of the same truth. That's what Oprah basically just said if you listen to her words. But if you go to the Hindu, you know, they're going to say that, yeah, Muhammad is a way, and they're going to tell you Muhammad, and Muhammad was only a prophet, and they're going to just look at Jesus and say, say he was just a way as well. The only problem is is if you, if you say, well, is Jesus the only or if you go to them, if the Hindu, and say, well, Muhammad preached that Allah is the only way, they're going to deny that. If you go to Allah and say Jesus is an option, he's going to say no way. So, you know, again, this is just a coexistence um false teachings and and it's trying to water down the truth about God. Here's the deal. God is on the throne. He created the universe. Most people would agree with that. It's when you get down from there, who is God? What is God? And how is he, you know, where, where, how do we determine who the true God is? That takes a little bit more work. And my book in, in part, in very simple, short form, helps people to get to that point. And, And it compares 
basically we look at, for the most part, Hinduism, um, Islam, and Christianity. I don't get too much into atheism, a little bit in there, but not too much. And I have some charts that show the differences. And they are vastly different. So Oprah, Oprah, I think... I think Oprah just it, listen. When you have a billion dollars, you can pretty much, I guess, think what you want. But that only lasts while you're alive. When you're dead, you don't take the billion dollars with you, and then you stand before God and you, you find the truth. But the bottom line is, God is truth, and the truth has to be, I'm right or you're right. And so you should right. look into what really what are the evidence for. If you if you have a lot of evidence to show that that coexist is true then let's look at that. But the bottom line is it, it logically conflicts itself. It, the only thing, the only people that believe coexist are coexist. And coexist is, they don't have their own religion. They use everybody else's religion, right? So if you took right. Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, and all the other, Taoism, all out of the equation, there would be no coexistence. <laughs> so and it's, it's, it's offensive. To me, it's, it's, yeah, well, it's an issue of, just being logically consistent to say that Islam and Christianity cannot both be true uh, is is being rational. It's not being a bigot. It's being logical. And I don't yeah. think that that's a bad thing. I think that that's a <clears throat> I think that that's a good thing. And uh, I think just pointing out to them that it's not being a, a bigot. It's not uh, discrimination. Maybe Christianity's wrong. Maybe Islam's right, but they can't both be true. Yeah, that's, and that's right. That's to me, it's the most uh, frustrating part of it. And I think once you can get the other side to concede that, and just showing just through the laws of logic, they can't both be true. Then you're you're making some serious progress. Absolutely, but, and and so that so it's a process of elimination, right? So the first thing you do is you start big. And my book will show you why coexist or interfaith movement not only is not true, but why it can't be true. By just simple logic, by history, um, and you know, by by according to each belief of each religion. And but the book doesn't leave it there. You know, it talks about the New Age movement, and it takes it a step further. It really talks about God about God having a unique identity. And we talked about the, yeah, the logical chapter, laws. Yeah, chapter of, 5. Yeah, that's a pretty cool... We open up to telling the story, right? Okay, you walk out to your car. Yeah, everybody's done this. So you, you, I think everybody who's driven, had a driver's license for over a few years has done this. You come out of the store, you put your key in the car, and you're like, um, something's wrong. The tumbler's not turning and the door's not opening because the lock's not opening. Now, you, you know, it's your exact car, same color, same year, same hubcap, it's hubcap, same interior. Matter of fact, same radio. But the VIN number's different and the lock is different because your key doesn't fit into it. It's similar to it, but it has its own identity. It has its own identity right. in the sense that you have a small dent in the rear left fender and a scratch in the passenger door. So they're not exactly the same. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're different oh, expressions yeah. of the same automobile, but they're not exactly the same. And so, um, you know, that's the law of identity. And so God has his own identity. I mean, look at, you know, and, and we go through, and we, I put a chart up there, for example. Let's look at Islam and Christianity. So... With Islam, you have God as one person. With Christianity, 
God is three persons, one what, three who's. That's part of your identity. So that in and of itself precludes you from, from really having this coexist thinking, because right there, Islam and Christianity are incompatible. Islam, humanity is good by nature, and this is in the chart in the book. In, in, in Islam, humanity is good by nature. In Christianity, and that's in Islam, in Christianity, humanity is sinful by nature. Complete 180 degrees. In Islam, Jesus is merely a man, or they'll call him a prophet. In Christianity, Jesus is more than a man. He was also God. In Islam, on the death of Christ, he didn't die and rise again, right? That would be disgraceful for God to kill a prophet, and they didn't. And, and Simon, uh, a guy named Simon was crucified in his place, and it was just a misunderstanding. I mean, Christianity hinges on the death of Christ and then the resurrection, right? So he died, and then he rose again in the same body, exact body. In Islam, the Bible's corrupted. In Christianity, the Bible's not corrupted. And that, that's a whole other story where if you go on the college campus, your kids can say, oh, the Bible's corrupted. Well, prove to me the Bible's corrupted. And they actually have some good arguments. They're just all false, but they sound good. <laughs> but they don't really have right. any evidence that will stand up for real. Um, and then it, finally, Islam in salvation is by faith plus works when good deeds outweigh the bad ones. You have a good demon on – you have a bad demon on one shoulder. You have a good angel on the other, and they have a big, you know – spreadsheet in Excel, and every time you do a bad thing, you know, they calculate the points. Every time you do a good thing, you have good points, and you hope that the good guy, you know, at the end of the day, he's got more good than bad. And then salvation in Christianity, we know, it's not by works, but it's a free gift of God for all who would believe. So, pretty cool stuff. And then, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Well, and this leads into kind of uh, the next chapter in chapter 6 of why is knowing the truth so important? <laughs> yeah, I opened that, that chapter with a question that says, you must prove that hobbits and Neanderthal, Neanderthals don't exist. Uh, uh, I had a young lady, wonderful young lady, a real thinker. I really liked her in class because she was a thinker. And yeah. um, she was. I taught at Calvary Church here in Charlotte for high schoolers for about three and a half years, apologetics. And, you know, and she uh, texted me one day. She would always ask me questions. And I think she, I think she was a lot of it. I think some a lot of it was that she had questions. I think sometimes it was stumped the professor, you know, type of thing, and and uh, stumped the teacher. And so she she sends me this email. You must prove this. You must prove that hobbits and Neanderthals don't exist. And I said, well, and I said, here's a problem. You've been watching the Smithsonian and the Discovery and you know Nat Geo just a little bit too much. I said, I. I I'm not. I can't, and I'm not going to disprove something that's never been proven. <laughs> so, so knowing the truth is real important because if we can't know truth, we can't right. know the truth about God. And if we can't know the truth right. about God, then we certainly can't know anything about the scriptures that show who the true God is, and we can't know anything about Jesus. So, that's why it's important, um, and it's important to to know what truth is. And in this chapter is probably one of the the best, I think, out there that you're going to find really speaking to what truth is without getting so theologically deep that you feel like you get, you know, you'll never understand it. Um, right. Uh, you know, and so we talk about what truth is and then what truth is not, you know. Truth is, um, you know, we ask the question, do you do you follow a God or a religion because it works for you? That's a good question. A lot of people do. Um, is it true that God is who everyone says he is? 
you know, comprehensive. That's a big problem in critical thinking today. You know, when people say, I was born this way, you know. Yeah. How come you can't go out and say, oh, gee whiz, I, I was a mass murderer, you know, while I was born this way. Uh, you know, what, what do you say to that? Just prove that, okay. Um, is God what one intends him to be? You know, it kind of goes back to this, do we make whatever we want God to be? You know, even though we're all authentic, how many times does a politician misspeak? I think a Blumenthal up in Vermont. What was he, Vermont or Connecticut? You know, I mean, here right. you got a politician. He's saying he served in the military. He was he got the Purple Heart and everything. And then they come out and they do a little research on the guy, and they find out the guy never served in the military. As a matter of fact, he dodged it going in. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not really truth. is not what you intend it to be. It's, right. it's what is. It is. It's what yeah. is. It's what corresponds to reality, and it's saying it the way it is. God, furthermore, yeah. we talk about, you know. No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, God is also not who the experts say he is. We have a big problem with the media people tuning into Nat Geo and Discovery Channel, and they're really redefining God. And we feel that they're right because, you see, we've been raised to say that, listen, Nat Geo and Discovery are the top experts in their fields. Yeah. The problem is a lot of times they have a bunch of people with agendas. They're not necessarily really top experts in their fields. We don't know that, and we are unable to discern that. So. Yeah, and it goes back to that worldview, uh, you know, having a worldview. Theirs is complete scientism. So, you know, miracles and stuff like that are already taken off the table. Right. Yeah, and Nat Geo, PBS, Discovery, yeah. History Channel, I mean, those uh, – they do a lot of damage. They do a lot of damage every year, and it's because people don't know really how to critically think through some of those uh, through some of those issues. And I guess truth is important because if Christian, if there is no such thing as truth, then uh, the whole case, the whole foundation, not just for Christianity, but for any worldview, can't be true. Atheism can't be true. If there's no truth, and neither can agnosticism or Islam or Buddhism, etc. But I think at the end of the day, to say that there is no such thing as truth just can't be true. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense, right? It does. I, 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 sometimes I'll tell the students, you know, if you're dealing with students, I say, well, if your professor says that absolute truth doesn't exist, then the good question, next question to ask them, very carefully, I might add, is that's a, that's a good point, but if truth doesn't exist, why should we believe anything you're saying to us today? Why should I even be yeah. here if you're not even if, if you're not speaking the truth? What's the point in sitting in this class? Or you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and then I tell them, yeah. be careful about that, and talk to your parents before you use that language. Before I get in trouble for giving that advice. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, truth is crucial because if there's no such thing as truth, Christianity cannot be true. But of course, neither could anything else be true. Yeah. What about chapter 7? Is God the ultimate truth? What do, what do you mean by that in that chapter? Yeah, I try to take a look at it, Devin, in two ways. You know, we t- we always uh, speak Scripture, and then we give additional evidence. So we're giving you, we want you to be able to answer the perspe- from the perspective of truth as the Word of God, as well as logically and then, you know, scientifically and whatever other areas that we might find, uh, you know, applicable to to show that that's that truth is that truth is that God is the ultimate truth. So 
you know, I, I open that chapter with uh, John fourteen six to seven. It says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." I mean, Jesus is saying that, you know, that He is the truth. And um, and I open up a story of George Washington, which I love. I didn't know that until I wrote my first book um, on more uh, right for you, but not for me: a response to moral relativism, which we did on another show. But you know. President George Washington stated at the age of 15, um, I think it was the the, uh, the rules of civility, 15-year-old kid, homeschool, by the way. He says, when you speak of God and his attributes, let it be seriously and with reverence. Here's a deal. George Washington understood that God is the ultimate truth. Everything else, all his other areas of civility and morality came from God is the ultimate truth maker. Um, you know, you look at the, uh, and, and don't forget the name of the chapter is God is the ultimate truth. So it's not God is a truth or the truth, but he is the ultimate truth. And that's evident in the Ten Commandments. It's not the Ten Suggestions. These are the ultimate Ten Commandments. So, um, and then you have evidence confirming God's perfection as absolute truthfulness. Truth is, truth is telling it like it is. You know, and whereas that's a, that's that's a steep contrast to the opposite. Falsehood is telling it like it isn't. So we're commanded to be truthful um, by the Bible. But the theological of God's God's truthfulness, theologically speaking, is um, it, it, His truthfulness flows from other attributes. And God has over thirty attributes. Some of them are moral. Mortal and some are immortal, and it, it, you know I'm not going to get deeply into it, but God's infinite, right? That's an immortal attribute. We cannot possess infinitude, period. But God is love, so we can we can possess love. God can't possess any of those things. He just it's what He is. So He He is it's an in, He's infinite. All of His attributes are equal and infinite. So what am I by equal? They're all infinite. So none is greater than the other. All right, enough of the theology. But um, God's truthfulness follows from his other attributes, such as his immutability, which means he can't change. He doesn't change and he can't change. He's unchangeable in his nature. And uh, and he's also infinite, which means he has no limits. Uh, but uh, because God is truthful, don't forget, he must be truthful in accordance with his nature. So because he is immutable and he's all good, God must be unchangeably truthful because he is true. So if that sounds clear as mud, I hope so, and I hope not. But the Bible illustrates this in 2 Timothy 2.13. He says, if we are faithful, he re- if we are faithless, rather, he remains faithful, for he, is, he cannot deny himself. See, God is the ultimate truth. He, has, he, has, he doesn't have the, the capacity to be untruthful. He just is truth. So, right. um, you know, and there's, it, it, there's a bunch of scripture in there. Uh, about that I put down a list of scripture of God's truthfulness. But then you have evidence from logic that God is truth and truthful. So um, uh, God's absolute truthfulness flows from several other of his attributes. If God is truthful, truthful, then he must be truthful in accordance to his nature. But God's he's pure spirit, he's simple in nature, and so he cannot be partly anything. So because, because he is simple, Devin, and because he is pure, because he is pure truth, he is the ultimate truth. Who else is pure truth outside of God? Nobody. 
Amen. <laughs> Love it. That got a little convoluted, but hopefully it was clear. No, that helps. That absolutely helps. And see is the ultimate truth and the standard of truth, and all things are tested by him. Well, one of the claims, in fact, we're going to be dealing with this, <clears throat> with this in our Ratio Christi group soon, is uh, the historical evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible. Chapter 8 talks about this. Talk to us about this. Why is this important? Ah, this is a fun chapter for me. And there's a lot more I could put in there, and, and perhaps in the second edition. But I, I wanted to keep it simple. You know, there's what they call extra-biblical evidence for the existence of Jesus or the things Jesus did or said. And by this, most people don't realize that they think of the Bible like, you know, it's kind of like it was a long time ago, which it was in our, our, our little mortal minds. But there were other people who testified as to the life and the, and the miracles that Jesus did. And one of those was a Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus. Now, this guy, this guy wasn't a Christian, right? He's just a historian. He's writing roughly 50, 60 years after Jesus, which is one generation. And this guy, Flavius Josephus, and he's known as Josephus. He's a first century Roman Jewish scholar and historian. He's born in 32 A.D. in Jerusalem, so he's right there in Israel. He died around 100 A.D. in my motherland, which is Italy, although I'm Sicilian. He was Roman, so that doesn't count. Um, we just have a lot of siesta down in Sicily. It's not a bad thing. But uh, Joseph, uh, Flavius Josephus writes this. He says, and I'm quoting, Now there was about, and this is in the book, Now there was about, now there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. <laughs> this guy's not a Christian, right? For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth. Whoa. Hold on a second. Let me read that again. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. Wow. He drew That's over crazy. to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. This is a Jewish guy saying this. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again, uh, alive again the third day. Wow. I mean, he's using this extra-biblical talking about he appeared to them alive again in the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of, of Christians so named from, uh, from him are not extinct at this day. <laughs> so he's saying is 60 years after the life of death, of death of Jesus, that guess what? It wasn't just a hoax. It would have died out. He's still alive today. Christians are around. It's the truth. That's what he's saying. And then, yeah. And then I go on and I quote a little bit of a guy named Thallus and Julius Africanus. Now, Thallus, Thallus was no—he was no friend of Christianity. Uh, probably fairly hostile, I would imagine. He was a Samaritan. He was one of the first non-Jewish uh, scholars to write about Jesus. This is Thallus. So we only have fragments about what he wrote. But uh, a, 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 um, 
he's quoted by others, including a Christian named Julius Africanus, who came on the scene a couple hundred years later. And Thallus, but Thallus was a Samaritan-born historian, and he lived and worked in Rome about 52 A.D., right? Roughly the same time of Josephus, roughly. Thallus wrote the history of Eastern Mediterranean world from basically the Trojan War up to his own time, I guess probably his death, I'm guessing. And, it, and his writings really, believe it or not, and I'm going to show you that right here, give a pretty strong validation of Jesus' life. Now, Julius Africanus, who came 221 A.D., right, 170 years later, he's a Christian, like I said, and he's citing Thallus, and, and I'm going I'm to tell you what he wrote. And this is in the book. In one passage, Africanus refers to a comment by Thallus regarding the darkness that enveloped the land during the later afternoon hours the day Jesus died on the cross. Remember, Matthew 27:50 says there were three hours of darkness, right, and when Jesus gave up the Spirit. Now, Thallus explains away the darkness because he's a Samaritan. He, he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to deny it, and he says, so he says, in his writings, that this darkness was an eclipse of the sun. Sounds just like the university today. This is an eclipse of the sun. The only problem is Julius Africanus is an apologist, I'm guessing, before his day. And he notes that Dallas's assertion was unreasonable simply because a solar eclipse could not take place at the time of the full moon and the time of the crucifixion came at the season of the Paschal full moon. Boom! Just knocked, knocked him off his horse. This is apologetics. This is just one of many details, again, that you'll find on uh, extra biblical in Jesus' life. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So when you get people, all of a sudden you're at the university and you're 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 now quoting and showing the evidence from people who are just historians, and you're showing even how they wrestled and proved back thousands of years ago what the truth was, it's, it gives a lot of credence as to really Jesus is the only way. It gives a lot more. You're just building evidence for, for the uniqueness of Christ and the resurrection right there. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, that is grounded in, you know, historical reality. You know, it's not, it doesn't just... Um, you know, it's not like the 330 million gods of Hinduism or something. It's it's right. um, it's, uh, it's historical. It can be demonstrated uh, historical yeah. that, that that Jesus was really a person. So it's uh, definitely. I think that's that is one of the things that I do love about Christianity is that the fact that it is uh, it's testable. You know, you can test the claims of creation. You can take the the uh, that's the claims of of Christ, and uh, you know, put it to the test through through history, etc. So, I love it. Very good. All right. Chap- well, in chapter yeah. ten here, last, last chapter. Uh, how do I know that I'm going to heaven? That's a, an important question. Yeah. I would assume. Yeah. Chapter nine mm-hmm. is before that. Chapter ten is really only three pages. But chapter 9 before okay. that is Jesus, the only road to heaven. And, and some of that I took from, from uh, uh, Josh McDowell, who just, I couldn't write it any better than he did. So, and is more than a carpenter, but it kind of speaks to, it, this, 
this this chapter just talks about the prophecies, the chances of prophecy of of uh, and I'll just give that brief overview on that. Twenty seven percent roughly of the Bible contain predictive prophecies. It's pretty big. Jesus fulfilled more than three hundred Old Testament prophecies. So then we look at the mathematical odds for that. Okay. So the chances. What are the chances? Of, of um, and this is on page 73 and 74, what's the mathematical odds of one person, one person fulfilling eight prophecies from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Now, that's 100, comma, 000, comma, 000, comma, 000, comma, 000, comma, 000. I'm going to confess, I'm not a math person, so I had to Google that question. Everybody, Google's got everything, right? Well, <laughs> that many, <laughs> that many is a quadrillion. Just to give you an idea, and then you, after that is a quintillion. Um, so right, because you're dealing. Let me. Uh, I think it's a. Let's see here. There is. Come on. So you got one hundred one two three four five, one two three four. Yeah, that's correct. That's a quadrillion. Then you have to go on and ask yourself. That's a lot. I mean, can you imagine that? That's bigger than our debt, which is pretty big, uh, national debt. So what's the one person chances of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies? It's one chance in 10 to the 157th power. I basically can't wow. think that hard. That makes my head explode just looking at the first few words. So, so it's only the 10, like 10 to, the, 10 to the 65 or 10 to the 80 atoms in the universe. <laughs> okay, so now you're seeing... The chances of that, right? What's yeah, one person fulfilling 300-plus prophecies? And there's so many zeros that it would just, the, the whole page, a whole a piece of paper would be, there's so many zeros there wouldn't be any white left on the paper, just be ink. So wow. all this is really, yeah, this is just magnificent testimony that you have. So, um, you know, and, we, and then we have some questions. When, uh, um, and, and there's, there's uh, we talk about why, why, Pluralism fails truthfully, and then we we show again some charts. But that leads us to chapter ten, which I'm very excited about. I like chapter ten; it's three pages. How do I know I'm going to heaven? And it explains that. How do you know you're sure? So if you get somebody that's that's a family member that's or a friend that you want to share the gospel, this literally it literally has the words step one, step two, <laughs> step three. It tells you what the Bible says after you've read all the evidence, and it walks you through the confession of faith if you want to accept Christ. Now, is that not cool? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there's study questions after every chapter of Devin, by the way. So it's a great, you can do it in Bible study and all that. Yeah, I would really recommend that, too, because it is something that, um, again, folks, the size of it is not massive. I mean, it's how many pages is it, Steve? I don't have copies. I think it's 117 pages, I believe, soup to nuts. Yeah. So, you know, and I would really suggest, uh, you know, my wife, for example, did a, did a Bible study this summer. And uh, she had several women involved. And, uh, you know, 15, 15 women plus sometimes would be at the house. And uh, she would do it twice a week. And uh, people would, one group could come during the day, the other group, you know, would come at night, you know, just whatever fit their work schedule. But uh, they went over Grudem's systematic theology, which is with the small one, the distinctive, so probably about the same size. You know, if you're a woman out there 
uh, I think it's really important that, you know, you women are getting into apologetics and getting into theology. Uh, for the men as well, men or women, this would be a great study. It doesn't take a lot of time to sit and read the chapter, all right? I mean, that's important. Uh, it's hard for people to do a Bible study because if they're going to commit to, you know, 50 pages of reading or something a week, sometimes they can't do that. Uh, but short little chapters like this where there's just a powerful discussion and uh, I I love this. I just I, I think it really uh, I think it's really really good stuff. Uh, is there any particular way you would recommend doing the the study or anything like that, Steve? For those who are could they do with kids if they wanted to do a, a say a family devotion? Would would you say that would be even something they could do with this book? Uh, yeah, sure. You can. It's so simple, but it says so much. It re, it's almost like. Um, I used to hear, eat the meat, and eat the meat, leave the bones. You know, and I mean, there's no bones in here. It's just meat, and it's and it's laid out with story. So you're 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 probably middle schooler and high schoolers can understand this. I'm not kidding you. And um, there'll be parts maybe your middle schooler has some difficulty with, but you can walk through it. But you can definitely do family devotions with it, and um, you could do a Bible study. You could teach a class on a college campus because this is a lot. This is going to be new for them. You could use this. A lot of people are, a lot of pastors have endorsed this. We got, I think, I can't remember, 12 or 14 endorsements on it. We got some, we wow. got some pretty, yeah, we got some big John, Dr. John Monroe from Calvary. And, you know, we have a, uh, we have a lot of, we have a number of senior pastors of large churches that have endorsed it. And they like it because it's a simple book. You can, you know, if you're, if you, if people really want, that you're speaking to, want to know the truth, you can share this book with them as well. It may, they may go off in the corner and eventually just accept Christ because it leads them there. It's a road map to Christ. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking here, Steve, as well, as you're talking, this would be perfect for uh, Ratio Christie chapter directors. Uh, I think, you know, do a, do a chapter a week and plenty to talk on, you know, for sure, definitely plenty to talk on. And uh, you really cover a lot of uh, really important issues. So, um, you know, I would just I would recommend this to my uh, Ratio Christie uh, chapter director friends out there. That uh, I think I may be doing this next semester as I'm looking at it, and uh, have to have you come in, Big Steve O, and Man, I'd love do some to. of the, do, do some of the teachings there. Yeah, I think it'd be great. So I'm waiting for you to give me the date on the book. So let's rock and roll. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything in conclusion as we wrap up the show here? Where can they get it? They can um, – you can go – the best place is just go to Amazon, Amazon.com. Uh, it'll okay. be – yeah, and you just make sure it's, the, it's all roads don't lead to heaven. There's a book, similar title, and just Stephen Garofalo is the author. And if you don't see the, the bumper – with the coexist bumper sticker on it in the car, it's not the right one. But yeah, that'll that'll pop up. And if everybody listening, you know, if you like it, please rate it as well. We need that on Amazon. And if you want to do a yeah. church wide thing and you really needed volume, and I, and I don't mean five or ten copies any larger, just email me at info at reasonfortruth.org, and um, and we can communicate to, to you know to possibly get you some bulk pricing if you or if you're you're church wants to put it in the bookstore 
but um, and I, you'll see I some think of that's the, a great idea. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. going to see if our church wants to wants to do this. I think it, I just I think it's a great idea. I mean, it's just it's an accessible little study that really covers a, a lot of uh, important issues. And what I can do is put the link to the book up on our ration or on our um, on our Theology Matters Facebook page. So again, folks, if you're not like our page, go to Theology Matters with the Blues Facebook dot com. Uh, you'll get our, our, our episodes, etc., and you can um, get get us on iTunes and Android, depending on the, the podcast addict you use uh, under True Radio Presents, I think it is, or True Life, yeah, True Life Radio, something to that effect. But, uh, <clears throat> Steve, really appreciate you coming on the show, and um, just uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, you likewise, brother. God bless you. Say hello to Melissa and the baby, and I uh, look forward to connecting up with you guys. We had a blast hanging with you this summer, and uh, you, you you married up, man. You know, I showed it eyes. I could say that comfortably. God had mercy on us. You know what can I say? You know, you got a you got a godly mama bear in the family. So definitely Great blessed lady. for that. Uh, and folks, just just so you know, this is uh, we're pre-recording this show. It's Wednesday. We're going to play the show tomorrow, so we won't be able to take uh, any live calls. If you're if you're calling in, uh, there won't the, won't be anybody here to take the calls. Uh, but uh, make sure you share this episode. Let your church know. Let your school groups know. Start a Bible study. Um, you know, Steve's not somebody that's you know going to make a ton of money off of this. It's just a a great resource for people to have. And, uh, you know, the desire to see you guys out there uh, equipped. So, Steve, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we will have you back on again in the near future. Look forward to it. Hey, by the way, some of these are on my podcast, ReasonForTruth.org, and we have a podcast. I forgot to mention that. You could download Yeah, what's the name of your podcast? Um, it's Reason For Truth Podcast. It's through iTunes, but if you go to ReasonForTruth.org, ReasonFORTruth.org, and then you go to uh, backslash podcast-video, podcast and then you just download the library, and you'll see we probably have two, 300 video and audio files there. And then you'll see some of these subjects addressed there. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, are you and Dr. Bridges still going around and doing talks at places? Yeah, Dr. Bridges, you know, uh, Dr. Bridges, of course, I think the world of him, the great, I've known, I've known Dr. Bridges since before he was Dr. Bridges, but... Uh, going back 12 years, used to come over to my house and shoot pool. A godly man. He, you know, he was promoted to the dean, and uh, I just texted him a few oh. minutes ago. And he, he's just getting, he's got so much going on, and his direction is going really. His career is assuming him, so he's gonna, he's gonna kind of bow out. He has bowed out gracefully, and um, he's gonna do great things at Southern Evangelical Seminary. But I can't speak. I can't speak high enough for the guy. I mean, the godly man, godly father, right. and uh, in brilliance beyond comprehension. <laughs> he, he, oh, yeah. that, he would, we, he would, he would challenge me on what that means. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but you know, he would. Oh, uh, that's so. good. Yeah, he, definitely. Well, uh, so you're still going out, though, I assume, and doing trainings and stuff. I am. Yes, sir. We're doing well with that. We're, we're, uh, you know. Uh, and, and it's working real well. We have busy, you know. I mean, speaking and training and and uh, 
and uh, you know we'll probably the ministry will take some some new roads heading into 2017, and um, we'll talk about that now. But it'll be we've got some cool stuff planned, and um, and right now really well, the the book is keeping me busy. So, well, that's good. That's good. So, yeah. folks, if you want to uh, if you want to get a hold of Steve and see if he can come speak at your church or or whatever, make sure you you do that. You say the Reasons for Truth website would be the place to go then. Yeah. Yes, sir. There's a contact me on that page, or they could just direct. Uh, if you send an email to info at Reason for Truth, I'll pick that up as well. Either way. Very good, I appreciate sir. It. I appreciate Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you coming on the show, and look forward to having you come on again, uh, hopefully in the near future. I do. Well, I look forward to being and coming out to uh, Winthrop and Eurasio Christie. Uh, God bless you, brother. Appreciate you, my friend. God bless. All right, folks, join us next week. We're hoping to have Nancy Piercy on the show. We're going to be looking at uh, the book Total Truth. So, uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful written book. Uh, We're going through that right now with our faculty at uh, Winthrop University. So, uh, be sure to tune in next week, and uh, we'll be back at the same time. And uh, be, be free to, or feel free to share our podcast, uh, share the website, etc. Uh, we, again, we don't make a dime from doing the show. We just want to get it out there. We want to, you know, bring in uh, good speakers like Steve and uh, try and get people trained up. So, until next week, join us again. God bless.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. There are places to shop, and then there are shopping destinations like Simon Premium Outlets. Here, there's always something new to discover new styles, new brands, and always amazing prices. Simon Premium Outlets, exceptional brands up to 65% off. It's hunting season, bargain hunting season. At Charlotte Premium Outlets, join us for Deer Widows Weekend, November 11th through the 13th. On Friday and Saturday, be first in line for chances to win big bucks at some of your favorite retailers. On Sunday, kick off the day with a block party and free gift bags while supplies last. 